Our first speaker is amongst those policymakers who've agreed to address the conference, has been in the U.S. government in the Bureau of Near East Affairs for just under two years, starting in November the 9th, uh, 2009, I believe. And as many of you are aware, in addition to the Secretary of State, there are undersecretaries for policy, for management, for other line item functional uh, responsibilities. There are also those uh, that deal with international organizations, science and technology, and then those particularly who deal with regional affairs. And there is an assistant secretary for each of the major uh, regions or subregions uh, of the world. Dr. Tamara Wittes is the deputy assistant secretary of state uh, dealing with a new unit or a new phenomenon and a new challenge of Middle East transitions. And that in itself as a word uh, spells out many of the challenges and the implications for America's relations with the Arab countries, the Middle East, and the Islamic world. And indeed, we're just about 100 feet away from America's uh, domestic spring. Uh, you could see the, the tents and the encampments outside. Uh, Dr. Uh, Witties was previously at the United States Institute for Peace, and prior to that was director of programs at the Middle East Institute, one of the most venerable and established and widely renowned and respected, and rightly so, of the nonprofit, non-governmental organizations working on these issues. Uh, she obtained her bachelor's in Judaic and Near East Studies from the Middle East Program at uh, Oberlin uh, College and her PhD and Master's at, from Georgetown University focusing on, on security issues. But she also spent time at the Haim Saban uh, Center for Middle East Studies at the Brookings Institution. In addition to all of these experiences and exposures and empirical education in her professional uh, career, uh, she has been the coordinator for the Middle East Partnership Initiative. Dr. Witties. Well, thank you so much, John Duke, and good morning to everyone. Please um, write your questions on cards, and they will be picked up by ushers and usherettes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, good morning to everyone. Thanks so much for being here. And it, this is really um, a wonderful occasion. I want to congratulate the council and congratulate you, uh, Dr. Anthony, on the 20th anniversary of this fantastic conference. Uh, this flagship event is just one of so many that the council does. Uh, throughout the year across the country uh, doing very valuable work in educating Americans about the Arab world, about Arab culture and Arab history and Arab politics. And from my time at the Middle East Institute at, at the beginning of my career until today, I've seen the Council as a tremendous asset uh, in our work uh, here in the U.S. to build strong ties to the Arab world and to the Middle East. So congratulations uh, on this event. 
We uh, are closing out this Friday morning a truly historic week in what has been a truly historic year. Uh, if we think just of the events of the past few days, uh, as President Obama said uh, over the weekend, after four decades of brutal dictatorship and eight months of deadly conflict, the Libyan people are now celebrating their freedom and the beginning of a new era of promise for themselves. Uh, in the U.S., uh, we worked with the Transitional National Council uh, and with our regional partners and with our NATO allies to support the Libyan people as they brought about an end to the brutal mistreatment of their fellow citizens. And we are standing with the TNC and the Libyan people now as they pave the way for their democratic future. We are very encouraged by the wide international support for the TNC as it leads this transition to democracy. Uh, we are looking to the TNC to uphold their commitments to human rights, to their international legal obligations, and to creating a foundation for a new Libya that will be inclusive of all members of Libyan society. The next step for them, of course, is to shift the focus to their electoral process. Uh, and with the announcement of liberation on October 23rd, they have 30 days to form their new government and then a period of months to prepare for new elections uh, in the new year. We are uh, working now uh, with the TNC and strongly supporting the role of the United Nations Support Mission in Libya, who are coordinating international assistance to the new government and to Libya's civil society. We are uh, optimistic about Libya and indeed uh, about the future of the region as a whole. It's been a similarly historic week, of course, in Tunisia, uh, where on Sunday we witnessed the first uh, democratic elections, truly free and fair elections of the Arab Spring, uh, a historic milestone on Tunisia's path from dictatorship to democracy. Now, we know that one election does not make a democracy, that no democratic transition is easy or swift. Uh, but I think that we've seen throughout this year the Tunisian people demonstrating their strategic patience, demonstrating their ability to meet challenges and continue to move forward. Uh, we have been deeply engaged in Tunisia uh, in supporting their efforts to prepare for these elections, in supporting the interim government uh, as they work to deliver wider economic opportunity for the Tunisian people, and we remain bullish on Tunisia as well. Uh, we look forward to working with their new constituent assembly and with the new government that will emerge, uh, and we strongly believe that any political party that claims to represent the people of Tunisia uh, and wants to play a constructive role in building Tunisia's democracy needs to adhere to those core democratic principles that I think we've seen embraced throughout this process. A rejection of violence as a way to achieve political goals, a commitment to the democratic rules of the game after the election as well as before, and a respect for the equality of all citizens under the law. Uh, across the region, uh, we continue to see citizens uh, looking to their governments for change and reform. Uh, and uh, we are working together 
with partners in the international community, with partners across the region to support the aspirations of the region's citizens. We continue to offer support to Egypt as well as they prepare for their free, fair, and credible elections that we uh, are looking to see next month. Uh, youth leaders, political parties, uh, the Higher Elections Commission are all now engaged in intense preparation. Uh, they have a revised political participation law that includes the right to vote using your national ID card and full judicial supervision of the election, and these are important steps. There's more to do uh, to put in place all the necessary procedures for effective elections to give people confidence in the process, uh, and we are looking to the Egyptian government to follow through on all of those efforts. Now, Thinking through just this historic week that, that, uh, that is ending today and thinking through the tremendous changes that we've seen across the region this year, uh, we in the U.S. government look at these transformations as an incredible strategic opportunity for the region, for the United States, for all of those who care about stability and security in the Middle East. And one reason why we see such promise in these events is precisely because of who created them and who is driving these changes on the ground. The young rising generation in the Arab world, who are the majority of the Arab world, uh, have demonstrated their determination to put their mark on history to shape their own future. And in doing so, they've repudiated not only the tired voices who told them to wait their turn, but also the dark voices of those who said that violence was the only way to produce change. But they've done even more than that. They've put forward their own positive, alternative vision of the future, a vision that's rooted in dignity, in freedom, in opportunity. And those are values that we share. And therefore, as President Obama said back in January, we welcome the fact that change is on the move in the Middle East and that young people are leading the way. We believe that a Middle East characterized by transparent, accountable, responsive governments will ultimately be more stable. More democratic states will be more able to act on behalf of their citizens' interests in peace, in dignity, and opportunity. And those more democratic states will be stronger partners for the United States in advancing the many interests that we share in security, stability, and prosperity for the region and the world. Now, to be sure, the overall fate of the region's democratic movements are uncertain. And there are places in the region where we see citizens' rights being denied and citizens' personal security being brutalized by their governments. The democratic transitions now beginning in Tunisia and Egypt and Libya are far from complete. But because we see such promise in this moment, because we believe that democratic transformation in the Middle East is profoundly in our interests, President Obama has made it clear that supporting these democratic transitions and supporting democratic reform across the region is a top foreign policy priority for his administration. He's directed us to put all of our diplomatic, economic, and strategic tools to work to achieve this goal. 
I think that we're well prepared uh, to fulfill the President's call using our diplomacy, our development assistance, our public engagement programs, our strong business-to-business -business ties, and our people-to-people -people relationships across the region, including those fostered by the Council. Uh, our foreign assistance has been a powerful tool in preparing us to face this challenge and seize this strategic opportunity. Our development assistance in countries across the region helped ensure that this rising generation was healthier, better educated, and better connected to the world than any previous generation. Our scholarships for deserving students, like those for Egyptian students to attend the American University of Cairo, helped educate a generation of talented and motivated Egyptians, many of whom became the bloggers and tweeters who spread the word about rights and revolution. Our exchange programs, including ones like uh, the MEPI Student Leaders Program that I supervise in the Middle East Partnership Initiative, brought young people from across the region together to help them realize the common challenges they faced and the common dreams they shared. And in many small ways and larger ways, our support for the region's burgeoning civil society organizations through programs like the Middle East Partnership Initiative have helped those who want to bring change, build the networks, and gain the skills that they needed to succeed. Now, the President's made clear that as our partners across the region take the risks that reform entails, we will support their efforts. We're changing the way we do business in the region. We're altering our priorities. We're shifting our resources to fully support those who are, who are working to meet the aspirations of the region's citizens to lead and coordinate our efforts in these three transition countries, Tunisia, Egypt, and Libya. We've created a new office at the State Department, uh, at the Office of the Special Coordinator for Middle East Transitions. That's headed up by Ambassador Bill Taylor, who has extensive experience coordinating assistance for Central and Eastern Europe, Afghanistan, Iraq, and the Palestinian territories. And we're delighted to have him heading up this new effort to coordinate all of our support tools, not only assistance uh, for these transition countries, and to work closely with our international partners, with our regional partners, in this important effort. Uh, within the Bureau of Near Eastern Affairs, of course, I continue my work uh, as Deputy Assistant Secretary, coordinating our democracy and human rights policy, supervising the Middle East Partnership Initiative, I've also taken on a new role uh, as Ambassador Taylor's Deputy Special Coordinator. We've also reallocated resources to support these transitions across the region. This year, working with Congress, we identified $135 million for a Middle East Response Fund to provide assistance to countries undergoing transitions to democracy. It's a new way uh, to bring assistance to bear on this uh, policy imperative. It's designed to be a more flexible regional fund able to respond, respond to emerging needs in places like Tunisia and Libya where we previously had fairly minimal uh, assistance available. It's a smart investment to secure a vital national security interest of the United States. We have an interest in regional stability and the success of these transitions is vital to that stability. 
So we see this as an upfront investment and one that holds the potential to pay dividends as new partners become capable of working with us more and more to advance our shared goals in the region. In addition, of course, we're moving forward, working with our colleagues in Congress to, uh, to get approval for debt relief for Egypt uh, so that rather than uh, servicing debt to the United States, the Egyptian government can use those resources on behalf of the people of Egypt to build their new democracy. We're also working to secure enterprise funds to uh, jumpstart investment in Egypt and Tunisia and loan guarantees to support the Tunisian government as they enter into the next phase of their transition. And we're doing all of that because we recognize that economic opportunity is a vital component of the success of these new governments uh, and that their citizens are looking to them to provide the wider economic opportunity that they seek. Uh, so we're targeting a significant amount of our support toward efforts that will provide more people with more access to opportunity, not only through aid, but through trade, uh, through employment, and through entrepreneurship. But our support is not just financial. These changes have given us new opportunities to rebuild our people-to-people -people ties in places like Tunisia, and that's why we were so excited to announce when Prime Minister Asebsi was here a few weeks ago that the Peace Corps is returning to Tunisia in the new year to engage a new generation of Tunisians in training to help them compete in a global marketplace. And we're working across the region to expand our engagement with this new generation of emerging Arab leaders. It's truly a new day for the region and for U.S.-Arab relations. And as we witness these historic changes taking place, I, I do think it's important to remember that we are at the beginning phases. Democratic reform and democratic consolidation take time. But we will be working hard. We will be fully engaged with our friends and partners across the Arab world to ensure the goals set by the President. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you today. I'm happy to take a few questions. Thank you, Dr. Wittes. Uh, we have time for two questions that um, have been submitted, and Dr. Moynihan will ask the first one, and I'll try the second. Thank you for your words, Dr. Wittes. Uh, uh, democratization programs are, have been with uh, uh, our government's efforts in, in the region for, for decades, and uh, I think we could be candid and say that to the degree democratization has occurred, uh, perhaps it has not always worked out in the ways that we'd hoped uh, Gaza and Lebanon come to mind. Um, we, we now indeed uh, witness democratization taking place in, in ways that were not forecast by many, uh, but by some. And as one of our uh, participants notes, uh, while this is occurring, there is a debate in the U.S. Congress about reducing foreign aid, which is, we know, a fraction of 1% of the, of the federal budget, even further. So how do we practically nurture these democracies in a way that the, the outcomes of the electoral process will, 
both, of course, meet the aspirations of the people in the region, yet perhaps not produce uh, governments uh, which we find uh, some difficulty uh, establishing and maintaining relations with. Well, I, I think that uh, there are a lot of issues wrapped into that very good question. Um, let me make a couple of remarks. Um, the first is that I think the way that we've approached our efforts to support <coughs> democratic change in the region is by holding firmly in mind that this isn't about us. Uh, this is about the people of the region. And indeed, they are the ones who have driven these events from the beginning. Uh, and in the Middle East Partnership Initiative, one of the major things that I've worked to do, for example, in the two years that I've been running that program, is to shift more of our resources out to the field, closer to the ground, um, responding directly to the ideas and proposals that are coming from Arab organizations. So that today, uh, as opposed to a few years ago, more than half of MEPI's projects are actually grants uh, given directly to indigenous Arab civil society organizations to do the work that they've identified as a priority. And I think that that sort of embeds the principle that I'm describing. Uh, now, fortunately, civil society work and NGO work uh, doesn't cost as much as big infrastructure projects, uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, our foreign assistance resources don't need continued support. Uh, and I think that in three countries now where we're moving into full-on democratic transitions, those transitional governments need our support uh, to do the institutional reforms that they've committed to, uh, to undertake and to demonstrate to their people that democracy delivers real results. And so to me that just underscores that our foreign assistance resources but also our aid uh, our trade, uh, not, not only our aid, but our trade relationships, our business-to-business -business ties uh, are more important than ever to help those new democracies succeed. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> we have another one that brings back uh, the matter of U.S. interest in international organizations, including uh, global as well as regional and sub-regional ones. And in terms of the Palestine question having been wrapped up with the United Nations since its inception, and it being the oldest, uh, most massive and pervasive of the troublesome issues in improving uh, U.S.-Arab relations overall. Can you revisit the issue of the <coughs> Palestine question in the United Nations this year at this time, uh, explaining the U.S. veto of a resolution uh, condemning Israel's West Bank settlements as illegal when President Obama himself in two separate speeches to the United Nations said the settlements were, were not legitimate. And if you might place in context the cost-benefit analysis of our new, different, more dynamic relations with the League of Arab States and the Gulf Cooperation Council, as well as NATO too, of course, uh, than at any time in recent memory. Well, I think I could give a whole other speech on that uh, topic, but um, let me say a couple of things. Um, first is, as you referred to at, at the close of that uh, intervention, Dr. Anthony, I think that we see in the region today 
many new opportunities to cooperate with our regional partners in new ways. Uh, and I think that all of uh, the efforts that we've undertaken uh, have been uh, working hand in hand with others. Uh, so that the value of those regional institutions uh, is more evident than ever, uh, not only for us, but I think uh, for uh, efforts to ensure the security of the region uh, for the long term. Now, on the, on the issue you raised of uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the United Nations, this administration, as previous administrations, uh, is deeply committed to achieving the goal on which I think we all agree, which is a two-state solution uh, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict achieved through negotiations. Now, the question is, how do we achieve that goal? Uh, and uh, we have worked incessantly, and my colleague David Hale is still at work every day uh, trying to bring the parties back into direct talks because it's our firm belief that the only way that the outstanding issues are going to be resolved, uh, resolved in a way that's acceptable to Israelis and Palestinians, resolved in a way that produces a stable and lasting peace for the region, resolved in a way that brings Israelis the security and Palestinians the self-determination and sovereignty that, that both peoples deserve is through direct negotiations. Uh, and it's very much our view that efforts to avoid the question of direct talks uh, or efforts to um, use other fora uh, are not going to get us where we need to go. Uh, that what we need to do is get both parties focused on sitting down at the table together. That's what we're doing uh, out in Jerusalem and Ramallah right now. That's what David Hale is at work doing, and that's what we'll continue to do. Thank you for taking both these questions. And Apologies for not being able to ask um, more, but we have the delighted um, news that just came less than half an hour ago that His Royal Highness Prince Turkey uh, came back just last night uh, for this event, and he will be with us uh, uh, today. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to squeeze a bit here and there. Thank you. Thank you very much, Madam Deputy Assistant Secretary. <laughs> John Duke, thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you all uh, for listening, and it's really been a pleasure to be with you. Great. Thank you. Thank you.